Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you... I've lost, lost my person. <laughs> whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at, l at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good, good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Um, so keep that open. I'm going to be referring to that quite a lot as we go through, um, so it would be useful to have it in front of you. But let me just pray as we start. Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you that we can be together. Thank you that we can look at your word. And thank you that your spirit works uh, amongst us. Please help us to be open to his working. Please help us to listen, uh, conscious of the, your presence in us and, and ready to, to change, ready to uh, worship you in our hearts. Amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went on a walk with uh, a friend of mine who is kind of early on um, in his career, early on in being an adult. He's in that kind of phase of life where you're thinking, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I want to aim for in life? And many of us are still in that phase, but just go with this. So I really enjoy chatting to this friend because we always get into really kind of meaty, deep discussions, and this was no exception. We got on uh, to talking about that question of how do we strike a balance between being on the one hand um, happy with what we've got and content, and on the other hand, being ambitious and pursuing our ambitions. How do you strike the balance between those two things? It's not an easy question, is it? How is it possible to want something, to aim for something, to work towards it, while still remaining content in where we are now and what we have now? 
Is it even right to have these aims? Or, or does having them, uh, is having them a, a sign of being discontent? I think people tend to fall in uh, somewhere on a spectrum when it comes to this kind of thinking ahead, uh, thinking ahead, planning ahead. You get some people who really live in the moment. The life going on around them in, in the here and now is more than enough to occupy their thinking. And so their brain doesn't, it just doesn't work in that kind of thinking ahead, planning ahead, looking forward mode. And then, on the other hand, you have the, the planners amongst us, the kind of person who loves the five-year plan, who have broken it down into annual goals and then broken that down into weekly, monthly, daily even goals. Um, of course, those goals are reviewed regularly and updated accordingly. These are kind of two ends of a spectrum. Where would you put yourself on that spectrum, do you think? In fact, why don't you just uh, turn to the people around you or on your table or, or, or chat to a few people and answer that question. Where are you on that spectrum of living, from living in the moment to being a planner? So just chat 30 seconds. It's just a very brief conversation and I'll bring us back together. Let's um, um, come back together. I told you it would only be brief. Um, I hope you got some interesting insights into each other's psyches there. Um, me personally, I, I definitely lean towards the planning end of that spectrum. I like to have things that I'm aiming for in life, uh, things that I'm working towards, and I really enjoy the process of thinking about how I might get there. Um, but of course, the danger that comes with that is discontentment. It's easy to think so much about what you want in your future that you forget to live in the moment. You become happy with what you have now because you become too preoccupied with achieving this future goal. But if you're sitting there feeling smug because you're a live in the moment kind of person, um, then listen up because I don't think you get off that easily. You see, discontentment isn't just a problem for the plan planners amongst us. The fact that you don't have a spreadsheet <laughs> detailing every minute of the next five years doesn't necessarily mean that you're content. It's perfectly possible to be living in the moment and to be thoroughly discontent in that moment. Discontentment is rife. And, it's, and one of the biggest problems with discontentment is it robs us of our joy. Now, you might be listening to this and think, wait a minute, contentment, joy, have you seen my life? Don't you know how hard it is to live with a long-term illness? Don't you know how tough it is to be barely scraping by financially? Don't you know how exhausting it is to constantly live with conflict in my marriage, my friendships, my wider family relationships? Don't you know how hard it is to be single? Don't you know how difficult it is to drag myself out of, it, out of bed every day to go to a job that I hate? How do you expect me to be content with these things? How do you expect me to have joy in the middle of all of this? And you know what? I really hear that. I think the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there are many things in this world that are broken, that are not as they should be, and we're not meant to be okay with that. But there is a subtle distinction here. Because the Bible says that we can say that those things are not as they should be, the Bible says that we can work for change in those areas, and yet, in the midst of them, the Bible also says that it's possible to be content. 
The Bible says that we can pursue and aim for growth. We can be ambitious. We can work towards making difficult financial relations, financial situations or relationships or, or whatever. We can work towards those being different and yet still be content in what we have right now. If you don't believe me, look down at verse 11 um, of Philippians chapter 4. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This is where we're going to be uh, focusing in this afternoon, thinking about contentment. Now, in focusing in on this passage, we're going to miss out on some gold in Philippians chapter 4. Just look, for example, at verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness is, is so important. It's so distinctive. So maybe go away and think about that yourself later. And we're not going to look at verses 6 and 7. Just have a look at them. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many of us, I know, struggle with worry and anxiety. And Paul's exhortation there to bring it all to God in prayer and to receive his peace is so important for us to grasp. Maybe meditate on that this week if that's something that you struggle with. And we, we'll, we may well revisit these verses in the new year when we're doing a, a short series on prayer, but we're not going to focus in on it today. And we're not going to look at verse 8. I'll just mention it briefly. Let me read it. It's one of my favorite verses in Philippians. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Just imagine... If instead of filling our minds with worries or celebrity gossip or, or social media or whatever, we thought about the things that Paul lists there. Imagine how that would change your mindset. Imagine how would it, cha it would change the way you see the world. Imagine how, would it, how it would change the way you see people. Maybe ponder that this week. If you, if you know that you're, you have a habit of kind of filling your mind with unhelpful things. This is an absolute treasure trove, and we can't spend any time on those things, but do think about them later. We're going to think a bit about um, contentment today. <laughs> Paul makes a big claim about contentment in these verses. Look with me again at verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Just think about your circumstances for a moment. Think about the areas of your life where you feel discontent. And just imagine the, the joy, the, the weight that would be taken off your shoulders if somehow you were able to be content even in the middle of those situations. It'd still be hard. It'd still be okay to want broken things to be healed, to want hard things to be made easier. It wouldn't mean that you couldn't plan and work towards change, but 
until that happens, until that change comes, while you work through it, just imagine how, would it, how it would be to experience contentment and joy. Pigs might fly. That's what you might think. But Paul just, just doesn't know what he's talking about here. But actually he does. Here's what we know about Paul's life. He's single. He struggles with his speech. And he comes across way less eloquent than those who oppose him. And that opposition isn't theoretical. As he's writing this very letter, there are people trying to ruin his reputation. And all of this is happening while he's in prison, effectively on death row. He's chained to, to one or maybe two Roman guards. He's far from home. His life is on the line. Paul might not be able to sympathize exactly with the circumstances you face, but he's not writing this from a place of comfort and ease. In the middle of everything that he's got going on, Paul writes this letter and he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So that could be true for your circumstances too. So what's the secret? Look with me again from verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So what is it? Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Here's the thing that makes Paul able to say that he can be content in all circumstances. He has the spirit working in him to give him the strength he needs. And he has such a, a clear and a grounded in the realities of life view of Jesus and he has such a clear sense of what difference knowing Jesus makes, what hope it gives him, that he is able to be content whatever is going on. Let's just try and unpack that a little bit. See, as we thought about, Paul has gone through real highs and lows in his life. But in any of the circumstances that he's faced, the highs and the lows, there has been one constant. And that constant is Jesus. Here's the thing. Paul knows that whatever happens in life, there is one who knows him, who loves him, who is with him, and ultimately, even if he dies, will be there for him. The driving force of Paul's life is, is knowing Jesus and living for him. And no other circumstance that he faces can do anything to alter that. So in any circumstance, he can be content. And if you've been paying attention as we've, if, as we've gone through Philippians, you'll have seen Paul model this contentment throughout the letter. Let's just have a look at that in chapter 1. So flick back with me to chapter 1. Um, as I've already said, Paul is in prison, but, but look at verse 13 of chapter 1. As a, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He can be content in prison. Why? Because his guards are hearing about Jesus. 
And because believers back home are being emboldened to live for Jesus. He's living for Jesus. That's what life's about. Jesus is being glorified while he's in prison, so he's content in prison. And then he goes on to talk about how people are trying to sling mud at his name while he's in prison. And, and they're doing that in the way that they're speaking about Jesus. His reputation is being threatened. But look how he sees it, verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He can be content with his reputation falling apart because Jesus is what matters most to him. And then he talks about how he's facing potential death. But he's even able to be content then. Verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, that's all just chapter one. Do you see, though, Paul's life is a testimony to contentment. And why? Well, that last verse that I read sums it up. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Why is death gain? Because he gets more of Christ. For Paul, his joy his contentment is tied up with who he is in Jesus. And because that foundation is the most precious thing to him, then whatever circumstances in life come along, he isn't shaken because the foundation is strong and secure. He can face those circumstances without losing um, his sense of contentment because he has everything that he could possibly need in Jesus. If he's got everything he needs, he's content. If you are someone who feels uh, dissatisfied or, or discontent in life, then here's what I want you to hear. Even if you get that thing that you think you need to be content, a loving relationship, more money, a different job, better friends, a new house, a bigger car, whatever it is, even if you get that thing, I can pretty much guarantee one thing. You won't be satisfied. You won't be content. You might be happy for a while, but after some time, often after not very much time, the seeds of discontentment begin to grow again. There's something else you want, something more. Paul talks about being content in every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And at first you might think, why, why does he bother mentioning the well-fed bit? Of course, he'd be, he's, of course he'd be content then. Surely discontentment is only a problem when things are hard. But of course that's demonstrably not the case. Paul knows what the human heart is like. Even when life looks good, being well-fed, living in plenty, having good relationships, having a good job, whatever it is, even when life looks good, it is perfectly possible to still be discontent, to still want more. And that's because we're trying to make these things satisfy something deep within us that they weren't ever meant to satisfy. So we'll never find contentment in them. 
So we need to sit up and pay attention to what Paul is saying here. He says, the secret to contentment is this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Knowing Jesus, having his spirit work within us, finding meaning and joy and satisfaction in knowing him and being loved by him means that we can be content irrespective of life circumstances. The words of uh, one of the songs that we sing here in Grace Church uh, sum this up really helpfully. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Have you, have you ever thought about what that means as you've been singing it? When we have things in life that bring us sorrow, we still have Jesus. And he is better than whatever we grieve. The thing we grieve is real. Sorrow is real. But we still have Jesus and he is better. We can be content. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Even in plenty, in victory, we need to push into the reality that true joy, true contentment isn't found in that thing that we've just gained victory in. It's found in Jesus. He is better than it. The victory won't make us content forever. Only Jesus can. Than any comfort, more than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Until we really believe that, we'll never be content. We'll keep chasing the riches, chasing the comfort, chasing whatever it is. Always discontent. But when we press into the fact that contentment is not found in wealth or having a brilliant community around us or security or or whatever it is for you, and when we press into Jesus, when we pursue a, a deep and fresh and vibrant relationship with him, when we press into who he is and what he's done and is doing for us, when that is more real to us than the circumstances of our lives, that is the secret to contentment. Because it's constant. And we know we'll never lose it. He's promised that. So we can be content. That's where we'll be able to draw strength. Whatever situation we face. Last week, uh, Nadine and Lisa were sharing from the front. We thought a bit about how, this, how life is, is temporary and transient. That's true of the suffering we face in it, but it's also true of the victories we celebrate, the comforts we achieve. They're all transient. They all pass. We'll never find contentment in pursuing and gaining those things because deep down, we know that they'll pass. We know one day they'll be gone. They can't be for us everything we need them to be. But as Christians, we know that there's something more. We have a saviour who has died for us, who loves us, and who has blessed us in ways that are far richer and deeper than we can even begin to imagine. And what he has for us is eternal. It will always be ours. We can be sure of that. When we grasp that, when we cling to it, we'll find a contentment and a satisfaction that eclipses everything else. 
Now let's just take a couple of minutes to try to um, apply this a bit more thoroughly to one particular area that is often a key battleground for contentment, and that is money. I'm choosing this area because actually these verses that we've thought about so far come in the context of a discussion about money. I reckon most, if not all of us, have found ourselves being discontent with the amount of money that we have. For some of us, that discontentment is a constant state. For others, it's something that comes and goes. But we live in a society that plays on this. Marketers and the people who create adverts tap in to this discontentment and, this, and they appeal to our desire for more. We want the better car or clothes or house or, or perfume or whatever. So, so we want more money to be able to get those things. Money and our desire for more of it can have a real grip on our hearts. And for many of us, it's a, it's a major source of discontentment. Well, in this section here, I think we get some ideas from Paul for what um, living a life of contentment with money might look like. Paul here models what it looks like in the kind of slightly strange interaction that he has in these verses. Just look with me um, at verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, it's clear from later on in what Paul says that what he's referring to here is a financial gift that the church has sent to him to support him while he's in prison. So, he, he's rejoicing because they've sent them that, him that gift, but then it gets a bit weird. <laughs> Paul uh, goes a bit kind of Gollum. Do you know that bit in Lord of the Rings where, like, what, at one point he's Gollum and one point he's Smeagol and he's, like, talking to himself? He goes a bit like that. So, just look with me. So, he rejoices greatly in the Lord because of their gift, but then look at verse 11. I'm not saying that's because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So he says, I rejoice because of your gift, not that I'm in need. <laughs> and then verse 14, he says, yeah, it was good to you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. <laughs> Um, did you see it again? He's kind of buzzing about their gifts. And then he's saying, not that I need it, not that I desire it. Make your mind up, Paul. Now, I don't think this is a sign that he's kind of had some like iffy prison food and he's gone a bit doolally. I think actually what he's doing here is he's showing us two attitudes that are displayed in people who have contentment with money. So first he commends their generosity. Generosity is a remarkable thing, isn't it? I can look back on a few moments in my life when I've been the recipient of really remarkable financial generosity. Here's what generosity shows. It shows that money doesn't have a grip on us. It's only when we're not discontent with the amount of money that we have, only when we aren't striving for more and more that we're able to be generous. Generosity is the mark of contentment with money. Now, generosity looks different for each one of us. Our means are, are really varied within Grace Church. And what is extremely generous for one person would be pennies to another. And so we, we shouldn't compare ourselves with each other here. But 
you need to figure out for yourself, in your circumstances, what generosity looks like. But, but ask yourself this question. Could it be said that you are generous with your money? If not, then it might be a sign that you're lacking contentment there. That you're looking for money to do for you what only Christ can. And so Paul highlights this attitude of generosity in the Philippians, um, showing for us what contentment looks like. But then the second attitude that we see is in him, in the way that he responds. At first, it looks a bit like ingratitude, but I don't think that's what's going on here. Paul is trying to model for the Philippians contentment by showing them that he's not grasping after more and more. He's saying, look, it was good for you to share my troubles, but my relationship with you is not about what I can get from you. I'm not here for your money. Thank you for sending it, but it's not the most important thing to me. In fact, he says the main reason he's grateful to them is because it does them good to be generous. You see that in verse 17? Have a look at that. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. The thing he's happiest about is not the gift, but that they've been blessed by giving. That's what he means by it was credited to their account. Now, if you showed that to an accountant, it just wouldn't add up. <laughs> but spiritual accountancy works differently. When we are content with our money, when that frees us up to be generous, we actually end up with more in our account. Okay, not more money in our bank account, but spiritually speaking, our account is fuller. We are richer. So be honest with yourself for a moment. Are you financially content? Again, as we thought about earlier, that doesn't mean you can't aspire to earn more or to invest or anything like that. But are you content with what you have now? And one key way to tell whether you're being honest with yourself is by looking at how generous you are. If generosity is a struggle, then we need to, to circle back to what we were thinking about before. The secret to contentment is finding our contentment first and foremost in Jesus. It's about finding satisfaction in all that we have in him so that we no longer feel like we need other things to be content in life, even when circumstances are hard. But that is something that we need to learn. Did you notice Paul's language in verse 11? He said, I have learned to be content. This just didn't, doesn't come naturally to him. This is something that we pursue, that we work at. We press into Jesus. We, we pursue growth in him. We strive after more intimacy in prayer. We take steps to, to frequently, consciously remind ourselves of the bigger truth of the gospel. And as we do all of that, the spirit works in us so that the, the spiritual reality of who we are in Jesus is more real to us and, than anything else. And we find our contentment in that rather than these things that we strive after. Let's um, wrap things up because I think where Paul ends up in this little section is really helpful to, to finish on as we think about contentment. Just look with me at verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory 
in Christ Jesus. We can be content in any circumstances because the God who, who made and saved us is the God who knows us and he knows what we need. That's not always what we think we need, but he knows what we need and he's promised that he will meet that need. So as you thought earlier about the, the areas of your, your life where you feel discontent, ponder this. God knows about that area. He knows what you want, but he also knows what's best for you. He knows what you need, and that might not be the same thing that you want. And he's got a better idea of what you need than you do. Doesn't that help you to be content? Whatever that area of struggle is for you, faith in that area expresses itself in contentment in the here and now even as you as you maybe pursue change if that's right because you know that God has your back he knows what you need and when you need it and he has already brought you into the riches and glory of Christ to prove that to you so be content trust him let me pray Lord Jesus, um, every single one of us here, I'm sure, will have areas of our life where we struggle with discontentment, where we're not happy with our lot, where we want something else. Lord, help us to be those who, who, if it's right, we do aspire for change, but as we do, help us to be those who find contentment in you. Help us to be those who really believe that all that we have in Jesus is enough. Help us to, to square up to the difficult circumstances in our lives and say to them, yes, that is difficult, but be, because of Jesus, I can be content. I can have joy in the midst of it because of all I have in Jesus. Lord, help us to be those people for your glory. Amen.